Book One, Chapter One of The Circular Study. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Circular Study by Anna Catherine Green. Book One A Strange Crime. Chapter One Red Light. Mr. Grice was melancholy. He had attained that period in life when the spirits flag and enthusiasm needs a constant spur, and of late there had been a lack of special excitement, and he felt dull and superannuated. He was even contemplating resigning his position on the force and retiring to the little farm he had bought for himself in Westchester and this in itself did not tend to cheerfulness, for he was one to whom action was a necessity, and the exercise of his mental faculties more inspiring than any possible advantage which might accrue to him from their use. But he was not destined to carry out this impulse yet, for just at the height of his secret dissatisfaction, there came a telephone message to headquarters which roused the old man to something like his former vigor, and gave to the close of this gray fall day an interest he had not expected to feel again in this or any other kind of day. It was sent from Carter's well-known drug store, and was to the effect that a lady had just sent a boy in from the street to say that a strange crime had been committed in Blank's mansion round the corner. The boy did not know the lady, and was shy about showing the money she had given him, but that he had money was very evident, also that he was frightened enough for his story to be true. If the police wished to communicate with him, he could be found at Carter's, where he would be detained till an order for his release should be received. A STRANGE CRIME that word strange struck Mr. Grice and made him forget his years in wondering what it meant. Meanwhile the men about him exchanged remarks upon the house brought thus unexpectedly to their notice. As it was one of the few remaining landmarks of the preceding century, and had been made conspicuous, moreover, by the shops, clubhouses, and restaurants pressing against it on either side, it had been a marked spot for years, even to those who knew nothing of its history or traditions. And now a crime had taken place in it. Mr. Grice, in whose ears that word strange rang with quiet insistence, had but to catch the eye of the inspector in charge to receive an order to investigate the affair. He started at once and proceeded first to the drug store. There he found the boy, whom he took along with him to the house indicated in the message. On the way he made him talk, but there was nothing the poor waif could add to the story already sent over the telephone. He persisted in saying that a lady, he did not say woman, had come up to him while he was looking at some toys in a window, and, giving him a piece of money, had drawn him along the street as far as the drug store. Here she showed him another coin, promising to add it to the one he had already pocketed if he would run in to the telephone clerk with a message for the police. 
He wanted the money, and when he grabbed at it, she said that all he had to do was to tell the clerk that a strange crime had been committed in the old house on Blank Street. This scared him, and he was sliding off, when she caught him again and shook him until his wits came back, after which he ran into the store and delivered the message. There was candor in the boy's tone, and Mr. Grice was disposed to believe him, but when he was asked to describe the lady, he showed that his powers of observation were no better than those of most of his class. All he could say was that she was a stunner and wore shiny clothes and jewels, and Mr. Grice, recognizing the lad's limitations at the very moment he found himself in view of the house he was making for, ceased to question him and directed all his attention to the building he was approaching. Nothing in the exterior bespoke crime or even disturbance. A shut door, a clean stoop, heavily curtained windows, some of which were further shielded by closely drawn shades, were eloquent of inner quiet and domestic respectability, while its calm front of brick with brownstone trimmings offered a pleasing contrast to the adjoining buildings jutting out on either side, alive with signs and humming with business. "'Some mistake,' muttered Grice to himself, as the perfect calm reigning over the whole establishment struck him anew. But before he had decided that he had been made the victim of a hoax, a movement took place in the area under the stoop, and an officer stepped out, with a countenance expressive of sufficient perplexity for Mr. Grice to motion him back with the hurried inquiry, "'Anything wrong? Any bloodshed? All seems quiet here.' The officer, recognizing the old detective, touched his hat. "'Can't get in,' said he. "'Have rung all the bells. Would think the house empty if I had not seen something like a stir in one of the windows overhead. Shall I try to make my way into the rear yard through one of the lower windows of Knapp and Company's store next door?' "'Yes, and take this boy with you.' "'Lock him up in some one of their offices, "'and then break your way into this house by some means. "'It ought to be easy enough from the back yard.' "'The officer nodded, took the boy by the arm, "'and in a trice had disappeared with him into the adjoining store. "'Mr. Grice remained in the area where he was presently besieged "'by a crowd of passers-by, "'eager to add their curiosity to the trouble they had so quickly scented.' The opening of the door from the inside speedily put an end to importunities for which he had as yet no reply, and he was enabled to slip within, where he found himself in a place of almost absolute quiet. Before him lay a basement hall leading to a kitchen, which even at that moment he noticed to be in trimmer condition than is usual where much housework is done but he saw nothing that bespoke tragedy, or even a break in the ordinary routine of life, as observed in houses of like size and pretension. Satisfied that what he sought was not to be found here, he followed the officer upstairs. As they emerged upon the parlor floor, the latter dropped the following information. 
Mr. Raffner of the firm next door says that the man who lives here is an odd sort of person whom nobody knows. A bookworm, I think they call him. He has occupied the house six months, yet they have never seen anyone about the premise but himself and a strange old servant as peculiar and uncommunicative as his master. I know, muttered Grice. He did know. Everybody knew that this house, once the seat of one of New York's most aristocratic families, was inhabited at present by a Mr. Adams, noted alike for his more than common personal attractions, his wealth, and the uncongenial nature of his temperament, which precluded all association with his kind. It was this knowledge which had given zest to this investigation." To enter the house of such a man was an event in itself. To enter it on an errand of life and death, well, it is under the inspiration of such opportunities that life is reawakened in old veins, especially when those veins connect the heart and brain of a sagacious, if octogenarian, detective. The hall in which they now found themselves was wide, old-fashioned, and sparsely furnished in the ancient manner to be observed in such time-honored structures. Two doors led into this hall, both of which now stood open. Taking advantage of this fact, they entered the nearest, which was nearly opposite the top of the staircase they had just ascended, and found themselves in a room barren as a doctor's outer office. There was nothing here worth their attention, and they would have left the place as unceremoniously as they had entered it, if they had not caught glimpses of richness which promised an interior of uncommon elegance, behind the half-drawn folds of a portiere at the further end of the room. Advancing through the doorway thus indicated, they took one look about them and stood appalled nothing in their experience, and they had both experienced much, had prepared them for the thrilling, the solemn nature of what they were here called upon to contemplate. Shall I attempt its description? A room small and of circular shape, hung with strange tapestries, relieved here and there by priceless curios, and lit, although it was still daylight, by a jet of rose-coloured light concentrated not on the rows and rows of books around the lower portion of the room, or on the one great picture which at another time might have drawn the eye and held the attention, but on the upturned face of a man lying on a bearskin rug with a dagger in his heart, and on his breast a cross whose golden lines sharply outlined against his long, dark, swathing garment, gave him the appearance of a saint prepared in some holy place for burial, save that the dagger spoke of violent death, and his face of an anguish for which Mr. Grice, notwithstanding his lifelong experience, found no name, so little did it answer to a sensation of fear, pain, or surprise, or any of the emotions usually visible on the countenances of such as have fallen under the unexpected stroke of an assassin. End of Book One, Chapter One